Welcome back to Don't Caught Up Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We are halfway through Way of Kings. I think that's up to chapter 34 that we have read through. Gonna have a gonna have a good lively discussion today. But before that, Luke, I'm starting to get a little worried. And I'm starting to get a little worried that the word nerd <laughs> is no longer relevant. Okay, okay. So we're yeah, yeah. We're doing a warm-up. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about the word nerd before getting to uh to Way of Kings. Yeah, so I've but been g- I, here's my problem. Here's my concern. I don't think it really applies to young people anymore. Like, I don't think there are many young people who are like nerds in the same way as like 10 years ago, there were nerds. Do you know what I mean? Kind of, yes. I'm assuming that you're talking about like the the popularization of nerdhood exactly is that what you're talking like the things that are a part of quote nerd culture are not like they're not special anymore and i you have mentioned this in the past about D &D. we might have actually had a very similar discussion to this in the past but i'm worried from a different angle because i think there are still things a part of the culture that are like nerdy but i'm worried because i think a lot of the like common conception of what a nerd is is an old person you know what i mean like for example star wars is like star wars and star trek are classic nerdy things right (laughs) but like star trek hasn't been relevant for a long time and star wars is like i guess still relevant but I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know about that. It just seems like a lot of the stereotypical nerdy things are not really relevant anymore. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because like like I'm old and I just don't know what's young and hip and nerdy or if it's just that nerd is is gone. Nerd is old. Nerd is over 30. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay, so I think that part of this is that nerddom, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. has kind of gone mainstream. Yeah, 100%. Which, which, I, which I would argue is a good thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, and I think that the, that the reason that that causes what you're talking about is that there are so many things that are now, like, can be called nerdy. Mm. That there's not necessarily that one or two thing mm-hmm. that is obvious. Right, right. I think the prime example for me is when you think of like what a nerd is described as in pop culture nowadays, it is the Big Bang Theory, right? Mm-hmm. Like in pop culture, when you say, oh, what a nerd, people will associate it with Sheldon and his friends on the Big Bang Theory. And... The thing about that show is that all of the culture that they are talking about is like from the 1980s and 90s. <laughs> like they're not talking about Attack on Titan or uh, any like new popular thing. 
they're talking about comic books from the 70s and 80s and 90s. They're talking about video games that are old, board games that are old. There's no new stuff coming in there. Mm-hmm. And so it feels true. it feels like nerd is a term for an old dork. Okay. This is true now that I think about it. Like I can't really think of anything relatively new that I would classify as nerdy. Right. Like the general thing of nerdy is like bookish, I guess, and likes science fiction and and video fantasy, games like we like we and video games but i don't necessarily think of any specific things within those categories that are like the prime example of nerdy right and i think i think it's because it's too it's mainstream now so they're not nerdy anymore they're just cult, the culture right <laughs> the the marvel movies are the most successful movies of all time right that would have been like peak nerd in the 1980s but now it's just it's just the culture yeah we folded it in so there aren't really like nerds are old now okay yeah i think that that's true oh no i think that nerd is a generational thing Mm mm-hmm yeah Ooh, unless Luke, you know, I, as much of a fan as I am of the current generation delineation that we've figured out, you know, we got, we got the boomers, we got the okay boomers, we got the millennials, we got the live at home millennials, we got the Gen Zers. I think we might have Gen Nerd coming up. When you say coming up, which, which, I think Gen Z is a lazy name. I think they're just Gen Nerd. Okay. Because, like like we said, Nerd has gone mainstream. It's like the culture now. Mm. So, so, that's, so basically everyone within... It's within Gen Nerd. Gen, right? Okay. They love playing Minecraft. They love anime. Those are very nerdy things. I think it's Gen Nerd. Okay. Okay. I will say... That we, like, big consumers of, like, what 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 we're calling nerdy things, are probably over, uh, like, overexposed. You think we've got confirmation to... bias? Yes, I think we have a confirmation bias. Is what I'm saying. Maybe, but you know what? So does everybody listening to this show. So I think they'll agree with me. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I think that's true. So, Gen Nerd, I'm I'm excited for it. I think we need to get the get the hashtag trending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Should we should we take a break from uh, nerd discussion and talk about this fantasy book that we? Yeah, been let's talk about this book with magic. Okay. Yeah, like I said, up to chapter thirty four, a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. I want to start us off with something small. Okay. As usual. Yeah. We get a lot of Dalinar here. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Dalinar is super, super strict about is like adhering to the codes. Mm-hmm. And he's very against this like frivolous fashion. You got to wear these military coats 
that are very plain mm-hmm. and all of that. And I think that that's a thing that's kind of common where the in in fantasy books where the the serious people wear sensible clothing and the like clowns in the book that you're supposed to make fun of wear frivolous clothing. Uh-huh. But I'm going to I'm going to go contrarian here and I think it's fine. I think it's fine to wear these frivolous fashions. Why? It's wasteful, Luke. <laughs> It's wasteful. You have to spend time thinking about what the latest fashions are and coming up with your outfits. You've got to send away your shard plate to get fancy ornaments put on. These guys are getting like 22-inch rims on their shard plate. Meanwhile, okay. Dalinor's going out here and crushing fools in his because he's actually... <laughs> he's not. He's not doing anything. Okay, but when he does, he's out here crushing fools in it. <laughs> yeah, but the... The fashions don't, like, take away from anything. I mean... I don't think. Sure, but, like, they don't add anything to it, right? Like... Sure they do. No. Sure they do. (laughs) Dalinor is, like, a legit superhero in his shard plate, (laughs) and it's just gray. Dalinor is, like, freaking Iron Man running around in his shard plate he's not adding anything by it being gray though yeah but he's like he's just focused on actually like training in it and like learning how to use it whereas everyone else i think is distracted by what cool hood ornaments can i put on let's throw another spoiler on the back i don't think that that's inherent to the to the ornamentation i think that that's just a a like device that authors use to correlate two things no <laughs> which is fair no which is fine it is I just fair think, like i want to go out and uh wear whatever i want and i don't want dalinor criticizing me for it no luke luke you're at <laughs> war this is not like you're just going to to, to Safeway. This is not like you're just... Dalinor fights a guy like every six months, okay? If I'm taking Dalinar's advice, I'm losing. Dalinar's clearly the one that's least effective. Uh, from a numbers standpoint. From a numbers standpoint... Okay, first, I will say objectively not true because he already talked to the scrub lord who is even lower than him on the gem heart scale, <laughs> which that guy, like, come on. Of all the, like, <laughs> you're doing something wrong if you're that guy. Yeah, Dalinar's not even fighting not anymore him. and you still can't catch up. But I think, okay, you're, you're right, but I think just like the slightest tweak in Dalinar's deal would make him the most successful. Like... I think if Dalinor did all those things, but also was like, and I'm going to get the most gemstones, I think he would be way more successful than everyone else. Okay, okay. I think that there are a lot of things that Dalinar does that were other high princes to adopt those practices, they would be much more effective. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that the frivolous outfits are part of it. I think that they're fine. <laughs> I and prime example of this is Al- Adelin. I, I I don't know how to pronounce it. Dalinar's son does does the the stylish thing and wears these frilly laces. Still killing it. Right. I think that's fine. I think he. Okay. This is the thing. This is the thing. <laughs> 
we what I don't think we need to expect Dalinor to come up with a fresh new look. I think that is a little double standard. If Dalinor doesn't if Dalinor wants to wear a white t-shirt and blue jeans every single day of his life, he should be fine to do that. That should be fine. And the fact that his son is able to not only match the codes but do it in style should also be celebrated. Yeah. Great. I think I have no problem with Dalinar's son looking fresh. Cause he's still he's still like setting a good example for the troops. And he's bad already. Okay. I I would argue that I have seen no examples of the clothing being detrimental to anyone at all. Uh okay. Kaladin. Kaladin didn't have shoes or a vest on his first bridge run, <laughs> okay, and it really ruined ridiculous, him. Ridiculous example. <laughs> Luke, you said anyone, so. <laughs> okay, okay, fair. Uh, I just want to put a quick tweak in here. I don't think that Dalinar is wearing jeans and a t-shirt, like if, if that's the comparison. I think Dalinar is going out in like uh, cargo pants with the zip-offs. You're saying you're saying he's rocking the Mark Zuckerberg look where he's got the same the same sweatshirt and cargo shorts every day. Yeah. Well, which I mean, is fine. It's very very utilitarian. Everybody loves him for it. So <laughs> Do they? I think he's the most popular guy around. I don't I don't know if that's true. But uh No, I I I just go Get your frilly lace on, guys. I think it's fine. Or as don't. long as you're as long as you're ready to go out and uh, sacrifice some bridgemen, it's fine. No, I disagree. I disagree, Luke. <laughs> One thing that I think is very lame is Adeline's calling being dueling. Yeah, that's terrible. So pointless, guys. <laughs> this it's like honestly. When he said that, it made me think of every single rich kid at my high school who wanted to be a rapper and whose parents like had a lot of money so they could buy fancy recording equipment and stuff. And sure, they could like record some songs, but it's like, yeah, but maybe you could do something productive. (laughs) Dan throwing shade at the music industry. Not productive at all. We can't have <laughs> we can't have one in three boys at my high school being rappers and succeed as a society. We can't, okay. guys. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, throw out throw out the whole uh, the <laughs> the whole band department as well. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's just, it feels like a rich, privileged kid wanting to do what's popular. Okay, yes, I agree with that. Like, Adeline choosing dueling as his calling is, yeah, useless. Like, what <laughs> what point is that serving? And it's like, one, you could just, just do something a little different that still sounds cool and you can show off to everybody. Like, my calling is commanding the army. Okay, right. great. That sounds like a very useful purpose. You're fighting. You're like leading men. Great. Yeah, go leadership. Go command. Very important. We need a commander in the army. You know what we don't need? 
<laughs> some guy who goes around at to every bar after last call and tries to fight everyone. And he gets an Especially... excuse. He gets an excuse because he's like, this is my calling. I have to duel you. <laughs> and Dalinar is like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's his calling. He's really got to get some duels in. I feel like I feel like dueling inherently is only detrimental. Right. In in general, like the, you're not you're not adding to things by dueling. The only thing you're adding to is like your own glory and success. Right. The the you have to you have to like win duels to advance in your calling. Whatever I don't know what the term is, but I'm gonna say advance. Right. Which means that you just have to like humiliate people to no one's benefit but your own in order to like proceed in your holy quest. <laughs> In your quest to, great. to catch them all or whatever the fuck you're doing. I think, I think perhaps there is a feature of this society we haven't seen yet. And these are the dueling arenas, mm. you know, where it's like a, it's like an entertainment thing. Yeah. The duel is like the main event. You can sell concessions. There's popcorn. You know, there's a whole industry that's built around the duel and sure the duel itself like isn't that productive but the entertainment people get from it is such that it's noble and worthwhile Mm -hmm. and a really good reason why we should keep people dueling even in the middle of a pandemic you know (laughs) well you know there's duelists left and right getting this disease but we love it we love to watch so (laughs) exactly exactly Sorry, uh, but selling popcorn to people in the stands, maybe that's the the benefit to society. Yeah, I think that's key. Uh, Yeah, and as long as the duelists don't share any political opinions, as long as they just, you know, kind of shut up and duel, (laughs) that would be cool. Uh, (laughs) Keep it coming. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's let's talk about Dalinar a little bit, please. Let's go back. Let's go back. Everybody is talking that Dalinar might be losing his mind because every time there's a high storm, he goes into a trance. And I think he, like, speaks as well. It sounds like he's sleep-talking and sleepwalking as well. So there's a visual component to this. But the high storms are, like, magic for sure, right? I mean, from our perspective, yes. But even in this world, they take their their spheres that have gemstones in them and put them out in a high storm, and then they glow afterwards. Mm -hmm. That sounds magic to me. (laughs) Yes, I would agree. Additionally, I'll say another point in the magic column is when they want to punish a bridge man, they'll put him out in the high storm, and they say that that's like the almighty judging them that's the like storm father judging them so there is like a religious magical component to the high storms and yet nobody is giving dalinar the benefit of the doubt that it's some kind of magical religious thing happening to him during the high storms 
Dalinar is literally the only one who's like, I don't know, I'm pretty sure these are visions from God. And literally everyone is like, this guy's crazy. Yes, I would agree. I do think that it's ridiculous. I I will say, I assume part of it is that the other high princes have something to gain from Dalinar being seen as crazy. Absolutely. But I I would I would argue that within like the community that benefits from Dalinar being strong, you I if I'm them I'm like celebrating this. Right, Dalinar has been spoken to by God. Dalinar is like a prophet. Great. Tell us what God said, Dalinar. <laughs> I uh, someone would have to would have like more knowledgeable than me about Alethi society would would have to would have to comment on this, but I think that there's a chance that some of the things that he is saying go against what they view as like I don't know if holy is the right word. Yeah. But I, but I think that that might be also part of it. I think this is, okay, this is definitely true, right? Because Dalinar's son goes and talks to the Ardent. And the Ardent is like, oh, I'm not going to say your dad's crazy. But his visions aren't real. <laughs> Which is bold. It's very, bold. very confident. It's very confident, very bold. Uh, we're not sure how we feel about it yet. Give me, give me some uncertainty. We don't buddy. know. I I do think, yeah, I just want to point out that everyone else in this world should be giving Dalinar a little bit of slack for the visions during the high storms. Maybe question your own assumption about his sanity when he has these magical visions during this magical storm that happens. Right. Like, he goes into this barracks with all of his soldiers, and, like, as soon as the high storm hits, he, like, drops and goes into a trance. I'm not going to be like, oh, what a, what a uh, weird coincidence that he <laughs> does that then. You got to think that something real is happening. Oh, no, he's got Stormentia. Classic. Classic Stormentia. Classic case of Stormentia. Yeah, it's... So I think there's good reason for everyone else to to cut him a little bit of slack. On the other hand... Dalinor, I think, needs to give a little bit more weight to the idea that he could actually be crazy. Not for the storm <laughs> thing. Let's put the storm thing aside for a minute. Because we've already said why maybe we should believe in that. Bud, you can't remember your wife at all? <laughs> okay, there... there <laughs> that's true. There is a little thing in here where he says... That he, like, messed with powers that he shouldn't have. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> but, so maybe you have a rationalization for why you can't remember your wife or her face or anything about her. Maybe there is some mental rationalization that you have about it. But that's a big mental problem you've got, bud. Right, maybe the side effects of whatever of whatever pill you took to forget your wife are manifesting themselves. Exactly. Maybe that laser hair treatment you did that removed your wife's image from your brain also caused visions to happen during high storms. 
could be very well could be uh so i think there's there's room on both sides to have a little more discussion about about dalinar's mental state yes i will say dalinar while going going for whatever he's going for still does question himself oh absolutely but it doesn't seem to include anything about his wife (laughs) he always just takes that as given he's always just like man i wish i could remember my wife oh well i wonder if i'm crazy because i keep seeing visions during high storms (laughs) (laughs) right he never connects the two is that what you're saying exactly there's never a like hmm i've got multiple symptoms that something might be wrong upstairs okay I think that that's fair. I have a couple... Okay, Dalinar... I've got a lot on Dalinar for this episode. Okay. And I think that Dalinar obviously comes off, other than the, like, potentially crazy thing, mm-hmm. in, in our readings of it, I think Dalinar comes off very good. Yes. Right? Like, yes. very honorable. He's one of the, he's one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. Which, which, I, which I agree with and why I feel comfortable with a couple critiques. Okay, sure. Number one, mm-hmm. Dalinar, like, keeps talking about uniting them. And he's like, we're just squabbling. We don't have a reason to exist. We need, like, a bit, like, people are just being strong to be strong. We need, like, a reason to be strong. But he doesn't, like, offer one. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing... I, he he is saying like they need to unite, which I guess is good. Uh huh. But the but the point that he's like the purpose for that is kind of circular, right. which I feel like is what he's arguing against. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I thought earlier on he mentioned that one of his visions there was a really bad storm, like an everstorm or something coming, and they needed to unite, otherwise they would all perish and die. But he he does have like kind of a an abstract idea that they need to they need to unite for because something's coming. Uh-huh. But I just think that if if you're going about this task and like telling people that they don't have a reason to be strong, you have to give them a reason for like your thing <laughs> i see what you're saying you can't go around just telling people like hey you gotta join my team because the current thing you're doing is not working and then be like okay what 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 are the perks what am i gonna get joining your team and it's like well we'll be a team do you ever think <laughs> exactly. about that exactly i now i understand exactly i will say he tried to he tried to get some people on board with the incentive of like, hey, we can actually get more. Like, I'll help you get more gemstones. I'll help you get what you want. So I think part of him is trying to use the levers that exist to kind of get people on his side. I think he thinks he's smarter than he is, though. Mm. Or everyone else is dumber than they are. Because... I think they all pretty quickly catch on that he's trying to unite everyone and none of them are interested because yeah, what he's offering is just like, we'll be a team. <laughs> right. Cause you have to, he's, he's talking about uniting because they need to like solidify the kingdom, mm-hmm. but you, you have to like 
give a reason beyond that. Like why the king solidifying the kingdom is good for everyone. Right. Right. <laughs> Which I'm sure there are tons of reasons for, but like right now, I think that all of the high princes like see themselves as their own thing and they kind of like that idea and you have to convince them otherwise right i think is what he's missing here right which it would seem like that book he's reading would be a great resource for like ways to convince people that being in a in one united kingdom would be good but i don't think he's gotten much from it (laughs) like he's been skipping over the chapters about like synergistic harmony and collectivization of resources and unionization there's a there's a sub book in there called uh how to make friends and influence people that he is just skimming over exactly right right he just wants to read about really focused on the uh really focused on the helping the poor people and not and not listening to the uh to the other sections (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so but he's making a team luke (laughs) he is Yes, that's true. I want to talk about the Spren. We talked about the Spren a little bit. We'll come back to Dalinar. But I want to talk briefly about the Spren. And I want you to just picture this world that we have right now where the religion of this world is that when you die, you go to the transcendent halls and fight to reclaim the realm from... I don't know, evil or, or something. And and you believe this because the priests tell you that and it's written about in all these books that are really, really old. And while you're walking around believing that, going to fight, you see these little ghosts popping up all over the place that like kind of have some will to them and they're sort of incorporeal they're wispy and they 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 kind of occupy certain emotions how are these not ghosts how is our religion not when you die you become a spren and if you're really afraid in your life you become a fear spren and if you're really uh drunk in life you become an an ale spren (laughs) it seems like they they assign spren to this like natural phenomenon in the world, which I get that, but they're clearly very distinct from natural phenomenon mm-hmm. in the world. I just feel like we they would be ghosts in my world. Like if I would, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I would see a spren and be like, oh, grandpa, grandpa spren. Y- yes, <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, but one thing that I will say is that we are getting a lot of perspectives from the soldiers and a few perspectives from Shalon and, and Yasna, mm-hmm. but not a ton of the like depths of research that has been done. Mm. I think that there's a moment where Yasna mentions some, some like, I don't know, scientific like, study that showed something about sprint plus we get a little interlude on a guy that's that's studying sprint i do think there's been a lot of research done here i think we're just not seeing it okay i sure there has it sounds like there's been research done 
but I doubt any of that research done has proved that they're not spirits of dead people. <laughs> and think of know. the like common person walking around. Think of a spearman in the army. They're, they don't know the research on spren. They haven't been read on what that is. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> oh, if I if I just believe that spren are ghosts, I can take this glove off my left hand. <laughs> yeah, all right, fine. I won't tell anyone. I want to hear about the spren heretics. Okay. There have got to be at least a couple. Like a, f- a few people that worship the spren, you mean? I think, or maybe not worship, but just like believe that that's what happens to people's souls when they die. And I'm well, excited for like... Kaladin to start that cult. Okay. It seems like our guy, our guy Rock, is doing something along this, which he is not a member of this culture. That's right. Yeah. That's actually a good point. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe they are in on that. Maybe the Horn Eaters, that's their deal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. There we go. Dan's a horn eater. Very, very good. Yeah, I guess I'm a horn eater. I will say Rock sounds very cool, so I'm excited about this this turn of He events. does. He's he seems delightful. Okay, Dan is satisfied now. <laughs> we can move on. Since we're since we're talking about Rock and, and this group, when they go down into the into the chasms mm-hmm. on this little quest to uh to rob dead bodies rough rough time yeah it sounds pretty bad but the scene the scene where kaladin does a few spin moves with the spear was fantastic i loved it little the 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 description here uh i forget exactly what it says but the way that it was written just loved it yeah i also enjoyed that scene although I kept putting myself in the mind of one of the people down there. And I I am somebody who is skeptical of Kaladin if I'm on the bridge crew. Mm-hmm. Because I know exactly what he's doing and I probably wouldn't want any part of it. Because it's like, no, I don't I don't care. Let me just die in peace, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh and if I'm down there and see him spinning this spear, as soon as he's done with this, I'm doing a slow clap. Because like, and a sarcastic slow clap, because it doesn't matter how good he is twirling this spear. He's okay. Stop showing off. (laughs) Whoa, you can twirl a spear. Good. Whoop-de-doo. Get on the front of the bridge. Just like me. (laughs) I'm not impressed. In fact, I'm angry at Kaladin because clearly he's trying to manipulate everyone into liking him. Because he can do cool spear tricks. Okay, so you were you're turned off by the which you view as him showing up. Yeah. Okay. It's like we're out here working, Kaladin. <laughs> I just lined up five dead bodies in the time it took you to spin that spear around. Okay. Yes. Yes. I, to a certain degree, I would agree with you. I think barring. Other things that we've seen Kaladin do, I would 100% be there with you. Yeah. I do think that the the things that Kaladin does, like, pushes me back into his camp. Like, when he 
takes the most dangerous spot every time. Uh, He's still showing like, off, Luke. <laughs> oh, whoop-de-doo, you can run at the front of the bridge. Cool. <laughs> oh, you think you're so much better than us because you can take our wounded back to camp. Oh. <laughs> Dan, is, Dan is very cynical. I don't want You're another. An I don't man. want another bright eyes, lording over me. <laughs> okay, okay, that's that's fair. You're very you're very cynical, which is what they want in a bridge man. Because mm. we do see this one of the most recent chapters that we read, where Kaladin kind of ruins everything by by being who he is. It's crazy how he ruins literally everything, right? Like, the bridgemen are arguably one of the least valued members of the military. At least their lives are. And yet, one of them can get the blame for an entire battle going wrong. Like, that's kind of impressive, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, Kaladin messed up so bad. That he, the like lowest of the low of this army, is to blame entirely for this battle going wrong. Right. Like you can be a you can be a bridge crew, go in and get like all of you shot down and drop your bridge, and it still is fine. Right. In fact, they expect that to happen. Yeah, it's a normal thing. It doesn't really cause any issues. But Kaladin goes in. And is able to somehow do much, much worse than <laughs> Right, right. You could even arguably, as a bridge crew, not take your bridge and run it. You could like, ah, whatever, we'll all get executed, fine. I don't care. And that wouldn't be as bad as what Kaladin did. <laughs> not bad. Impressive, Kaladin. Very impressive. Um, so yeah, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed by the sword spinning or the, the spear spinning. I am impressed <laughs> by how bad he messed this up for everybody. Okay. Fair enough. I think that's a good point. Do you think when Kaladin shows up with this sap that he has milked from these reeds, there's one bridge man in the back of the barracks who, who gets all angry and goes to everyone and says, y'all, I've been making this bathtub hooch for four weeks and nobody will even try some. But Kaladin shows up with some some plant milk and you guys are his best friends all of a sudden. <laughs> um, Or alternatively, Kaladin shows up with the plant milk and then somebody gets the idea Oh, hold on. I can help. Starts brewing up some bathtub hooch. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I, I will say about this. I think that you're picturing them as if they're in like prison. But they do go out to like the taverns every night oh, and drink. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I don't think they're in prison. I just think they see Kaladin able to like earn money and produce something valuable. And so they're mm -hmm. like, I want to help too. I'm going to I'm going to get a bunch of 
bananas and mush them up and put them in this can in the back of our barracks because I got to okay. hide it. I got to hide it so that Gaz doesn't see. You're you're saying that they're all starting Etsy shops. Exactly. Or, or joining or joining pyramid schemes yes. to make some extra some extra cash. And it's noble because they're like we can't just let Kaladin be the one who right. is earning money for this bridge and giving it to us in the form of good food and medicine. Like I want to help out. Look, I drew Gotta a picture. Get some ingredients for this stew. Exactly. I want to contribute. I don't want to just take. Meanwhile, the barracks okay. smells like a middle school locker room. It gets even worse. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is this is going to be something that we're going to have to that we're going to see. Kaladin people has are to gonna, <laughs> people are going to start striving out on their own, not not like not to be individuals. They're going to try to help. Right. And start all their own little little uh, little side hustles, and it's going to go poorly. Kaladin has to pull Taft aside week two and say, "Hey, bud, I know you're trying to help with that with that homemade yogurt you got going on, but it's not yogurt. It's not yogurt anymore, Taft. No, it's not. I don't even know where you got the milk for that. To be honest, <laughs> I didn't know crabs made milk." It's not yogurt. I'm not going to explore that. It's not yogurt, Taft, and you got to throw it away. I'm sorry. You tried, but it didn't you work do. this time. You do. Give uh, give something else a shot. That's a tough con. Um, I want to say something that I, I've, I'm guessing that you also have this note. I think that we need to invite Dalinar as a guest host on here. Ooh. Because he's saying the same things that we are. Namely... That these uh, these magical things need to be used for mundane purposes. <laughs> Something that we say after like every fantasy book. Yes, you got to be using these things for for smashing rocks like down. Right, doing. and I love how he puts his money where his mouth is, and he hops down in this ditch and just goes to town on it. And apparently he's crushing it. Apparently, like literally, obviously, and also figuratively, he does the work of like 20 men in two hours. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Very useful. And most of the time, you're not even using the shard plate. Get to work, guys. Get <laughs> to work. I'm loving Please. it. I also will yeah. say he keeps talking about how the shard plate was only created for war. You don't know. You don't know. You guys use That's it to true. fight each other. Maybe it was made for carving latrines. Okay. You're just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're interpreting it as being only made for war, but that's not necessarily the case. Right. Like, I imagine in a thousand years, if somebody dug up an old diving suit, they would be like, look at this suit of armor that these people had with the... With the like uh, big brass helmet and the and the pressure seals. Wow. What a formidable opponent this must have been on the battlefield. When it's like, no, guys, we just we went swimming with it. Right. Maybe this maybe this shard plate was designed as armor because when you're breaking rocks down there there's shards flying everywhere and it's protecting you right exactly and when, when you're enhanced with the strength of it 
the shards are flying real fast and so you got to protect your neck and the rest of you as well mm-hmm. you've just got to protect your mm-hmm. body and these these okay these swords can cut literally anything how do you how do you go from that to saying they must be for killing people it's not hard to kill people with a sword i like i can make a sword that can kill people i can't make a sword that can cut through rocks i can't do that so why are we even assuming that shard blades are for killing people that's that's fair I guess there's a there's a cultural assumption that something shaped like that is a is like for fighting. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but maybe maybe current swords were based off of that and it's just a misinterpretation. Exactly. This is what I'm saying. Well, one question that I do have is if you're a shard bearer mm-hmm. and you're going out there and fighting against people who are not shard bearers. Why just like are you not just like spinning around? With it held out. <laughs> yeah, this is literally my my concern too. Just hold it like at waist level and spin in a circle and move forward slowly. Uh, and if you have shard plate, even better. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is what they're doing. And we're just... just it's being described as something cooler than that. Yeah, exactly. But in reality, they're just holding the sword out and spinning in a circle. Although, problem with that, Luke, is you get real dizzy. That's... Mm, okay. Yeah, okay. You're not just spinning. You're just like kind of... You're just going back and forth, Yeah. right? <laughs> just a quick back and forth. Because what's the point of doing other maneuvers? They can't block it. Right. right? They can't block it. Yeah, it's just what is the quickest way to slice? What's the sli- and yeah. and nothing can stop it. Like its momentum doesn't stop because it can cut through anything. So just wave it like a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, I. There's no point in a shard bearer for like learning the intricacies of sword fighting. No, no, because you're not gonna be sword fighting anyone. It's just not how it's gonna happen. Assuming that you're not fighting other. Uh, right, Other right, but then the the strategy Which for that has got to be completely different. Mm-hmm. So, I guess they might train to fight other shard bearers, but when you're just out on the battle, you're just sweeping it back and forth. You just sweep it. It's all, it, it's all about wrist speed. <laughs> just cha- how quick can you change the direction? How many swipes per second can you do? I think is the key, the key metric. Right, exactly. They're like everyone's like super worried about Rinnerin, or the the younger brother, yeah. Adlin's younger brother. Yeah, they're like, "Well, you can't give it to him. He's not a warrior." But like, you just need how fast can you swipe back and forth? That's all I need to know. Now I'm just picturing him out in a training yard with a wooden sword, like waving it back and forth in front of him frantically, like, "Dad, look, look, I'm good. I, I can do it." There, the, you got to think that there's a list of possible shard bearers and they're just ranked by SPM, swipes per minute. Swipes per minute, yeah. <laughs> That's the only metric that we care about. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, Luke. <laughs> okay, I'm sure I'm sure that there's more to it than that. Someone, someone feel free to correct me. I don't know. I don't think so. Based on everything we've heard about these shard blades, it doesn't seem like it. Right. But oh, 
Okay, the last thing that I'll say about the shard blades. It's got to make you kind of feel like you're the bad guy when you kill somebody with it, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. Because, they, and, and Dalinor sort of experiences this in the last battle that we saw, but it makes their eyes shrivel up and start smoking and their, like, whole body deforms. And, like, that's not good. I I get killing someone with a sword and, like, disemboweling them is also probably bad. But w- this is, like, some Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant kind of stuff where their whole body just rejects what's happening. And that can't be good. And you even say that you're killing their soul when you kill them with a shard blade. That's really bad, guys. It does. Yeah, shard blades seem very immoral. Like, more so than regular killing people. Right. Right. Like, I get it's a very powerful weapon, but the way that it works... Oh, I don't know if it's worth it, guys. Yeah, we got to use we got to use these things for some for like carpentry. <laughs> Make a cool castle. I don't know, something. Something else. Okay. Uh I mentioned the interludes. One thing that I'll say, I if you've listened to our, us long enough, you know that I generally am frustrated by interludes. Mm. But but these I enjoy, and that's because I think that they do a fantastic job of making this world like seem huge and interesting and with like very different places. I I feel like yeah. that that's that's largely the point of them, and I think it's very successful. Mm. Yeah, I agree completely with you here. Uh, when we when we hear about axes the person who's going around trying to find every kind of spren it just like reinforces the idea that the world is way bigger than this battle that's happening on the shattered plains and the stuff that's going on even in the kingdom the alethi kingdom that we're experiencing like this world sounds huge and we're loving it we're excited about it it's a very cool place and when they go to the Shin territory that you find out is just like Earth and, mm-hmm. and that everyone's weirded out by it, which is very funny. I appreciated that. Uh, very cool. Very cool. We do like it. We also are very interested in the interludes for, is it Szeth? The the truthless one. Yeah. I, I just say Seth, but... <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it's because... Yeah. So Seth, I'm going to say it like that. That story to me is very interesting. <laughs> and I I always look forward to hearing more about their deal and what's like like the fact that they're so committed to this like religion that they're a part of that they will do whatever somebody says if they hold their oath stone is very mm-hmm. interesting to me um and obviously this person is like the only one who has a clue about what the the king who he killed was was doing and so that's like very fascinating to me as well right and he also seems to have 
powers that no one else does. Yes, the like gravity bending powers that he uses all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. So. I think that the the interludes with him, I mean this is obvious this is kind of obvious, but they're actually very important for the story and maybe the other ones are too but it seems to me like the other ones are just kind of uh like world building drawing out the the world more whereas seth's are actually gonna be important yes yes i think you're right i think you're right yeah okay i want to bring us to Shalon and Yasna because we haven't talked about them a lot and I don't have a ton to say. Okay. But one thing one thing that I want to bring up is I just I just want to appreciate Yasna for pointing out that Shalon isn't that funny. <laughs> because like everyone that Shalon interacts with is like, "Oh, you're so clever. These little jokes that you make are great." And I'm sitting here like, can you, they, she just seems so tiresome sometimes. And I think Yasna points basically exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Where it's like, you can't, it's, let's go quality over quantity, Shalon. I'm 100% on board with this, actually. And when Yasna said that to Shalon, I was like, finally, it takes a true friend to tell you when you're saying some bullshit and need to just shut up for a second. And Yasna is being that right now. Yasna is like, listen, that first one was kind of funny. But then the <laughs> last three were junk. The last three were trash. So just like, think about it first. Yeah. Let's put a filter yeah, on that. Because, right, Shalon does seem clever. Mm-hmm. But she's just overdoing it. She's trying way too hard to get people to like her dislike her it's hard to even know the motives i think it's i think it's more just that well i don't know it's it's like a hobby yeah i guess i don't know i just think it's tiresome yeah it's for sure tiresome i can't imagine being friends with shallan at least right now in her development i feel like shallan would be that friend who you definitely invite if you have a group, like if you're having a party or you're going out to a bar or something, you invite them not every time, right? Mm. Like you definitely, they're fun to be around and they're not like rude necessarily. Like they they have a good heart, but they're a lot. And sometimes you can't do that. So sometimes you don't invite Shalon. Right. But, but yeah, I'm... I'm expecting her to, to, she's, she's kind of a delight already. I'm expecting her to, uh, to become even more of a delight when she figures out this. Uh, I just, I, I, I think it's, I think it's quality over quantity. Yeah. Basically is what Yasna said that I think is key here. I agree. I agree. And I, I think she's working on it too. I think there's <laughs> huge potential here. So we'll see. We'll see yeah, if she's it's great pal. <laughs> We love it. Luke, every time they talk about killing chasm fiends, do you start to worry about the sustainability of this resource? I don't know if this is yes. my modern, like, 
anxieties that are creeping into this world. <laughs> but every time they're like, yeah, whenever there's a chasm fiend that comes out, we we go over and we murder it and we take its we take its heart because it's really valuable. And uh, you know there will always be chasm fiends coming out, <laughs> and so this is like a, a never ending resource. We can just keep doing it. Meanwhile, I'm over here like, guys, there's not there's gonna be no more one day. <laughs> there's gonna be no more. Right. It seems like what they so they go up to pupate or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Yeah. Which which means, uh, what does it mean, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it means that they're converting into a new form. Oh, like a uh, larva pupates and turns into a some like a fly or something. Okay. Well, here's the question then, mm-hmm. because in general. They're just, I'm going to say, harvesting them when they're when they're pupating. Right. Maybe after they they do this, they're not like re- going to reproduce anymore. That could be. I will say, typically in an insect's life cycle, they reproduce at the end of the cycle, mm-hmm. and so typically this would be pretty bad to do if you're killing all these insects before they get to their reproduction phase but you're right we don't know a lot about their reproductive cycle maybe they're making a bunch of eggs and then going up and this is just like a grizzly bear situation where you can eat all the salmon Mm -hmm. you want because well actually that's not even the same (laughs) i don't know it could be fine i I do agree with you. It's very, it's very stressful. Yes, yes. Especially given, like, life in our society and and the anxiety that comes with <laughs> limited resources. Right. I just want to yell at them, like, guys, we have like four sea turtles left. Leave the chasm fiends. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't love that. I will say that this starts to this actually gets to a theory that I want to make. And this theory mm, is starting to get reinforced. I was starting to develop this at the beginning of this section. I haven't said it yet. I have a feeling like these chasm fiends might actually be really, really bad. And the reason why the Parshendi, I think, the Mm -hmm. Parshendi violated the truce is because they needed help keeping these chasm fiends from pupating (laughs) they were like we can't we can't stop all these chasm fiends from pupating there's too many of them we need to start a war where we make the other side think this is all we want and so they will keep killing the chasm fiends before they can pupate right because if you just make an alliance and do it the Alethi are not going to send enough, send enough like armies to actually help that much. Well, because there's also this idea that they're very competitive, right? And so mm. now you have set it up as a competition between the Parshendi and the Alethi. And they make them think, we really are trying to get all of these gemstones. And so then they, they have this competitive drive because if even one of those chasm fiends pupates, oh, we are in trouble. <laughs> very 
uh, very manipulative, a little social engineering going on with the Parshendi, mm-hmm. who were who were very knowledgeable about Alethi culture. <laughs> I think that that's probably true. Right. Right. Well, and the other thing is that I'll say is that we get that message that Dalinar receives that the drawing of this like void thing is a cat is basically a chasm fiend. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what happens when a chasm fiend finishes its pupation. You turn into a void bringer. It turns into a void bringer. Yeah. Maybe. I, if, to remind people, I have read this book before, so I'm just I'm just being supportive of dance theories. Right. Luke can't say anything about it. It's my role here. <laughs> I appreciate that, Luke. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think that's what they probably are. Um, and yeah, I think the Parshendi are just trying to save the whole realm. Mm-hmm. Mm, totally. If one of these guys pupates, they're just, they're bringing the, they're bringing the void with them. Either that or the Parshendi are chasm fiends in early stages. And so okay. they're, they are, um, trying to take the they're phase one, their phase. No, no, no. They're phase two. Because the Parshmen are phase one. Okay. And I know at one point it was explained why the Parshmen don't don't run the bridges. But I think it was just that they don't want them close to the Parshendi because they're worried about them getting ideas. Is that right? Yeah, I think they just don't want them to be... I think they rely so much on the Parshmen for like general things. Uh-huh. That they don't want to risk the chance of, no matter how small it is, they don't want the risk of them like turning against them. Right, right. And I think there is potential that the Parshmen are stage one, Parshendi are stage two, and then we've got we've got Blastoise, Chasm Fiend. <laughs> I'm glad you went the Pokemon route because that's what I was thinking of as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Could be. Because the last thing I'll say about this, that we find out the Parshendi grow chitinous armor. Mm -hmm. Starting to sound like a crab. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) So. Pretty good, uh, pretty good advertisement for becoming a crab. (laughs) Yeah, well. I, I think there's uh, a lot of questions. A lot of questions we've still got. Just like how we'll be back next week with a lot of hot takes. It's still acting like dumb nerds. Mm-hmm.